All right, big chapter this morning, Mark chapter 6. So uh, let's get into it here so we can get out of here in a timely fashion. It says there, starting in verse 1, Then Jesus went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this? which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hand. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And they are not, and are not his sisters here with us? <clears throat> and so they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there except there that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching, and he called uh, the twelve to himself and began to send them out two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. He commanded them to take nothing for the journey except for a staff, no bag, no bread, no copper in their money belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. Also he said to them, in whatever place you enter a house, stay there till you depart from that place. And whoever will not receive you nor hear you, when you depart from there, shake off the dust under your feet as a testimony against them. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. So they went out and preached that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Now King Herod heard of him, for his name had become well known. And he said, John the Baptist is risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. Others said, it is Elijah, and others said, it is the prophet, or like one of the prophets. But when Herod heard, he said, this is John, whom I beheaded. He has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. Because John had said to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Therefore Herodias held it against him and wanted to kill him. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man, and he protected him. And when he heard them, he did many things, and he heard him gladly. Then an opportune day came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a feast for his nobles, the high officers, and the chief men of Galilee. And when Herodias' daughter herself came in and danced and pleased Herod and those who sat with him, the king said to the girl, Ask me whatever you want, and I will give it to you. He also swore to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give to you up to half my kingdom. So she went, went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. Immediately she came in with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. Yet because of the oaths and because of those who sat with them, him, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought. And he went and beheaded him in prison, brought his head on a platter, and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took away his corpse and laid it in a tomb. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all the things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. But the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran there on foot from all cities. They arrived before them and came out together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them, because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. 
When the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Send them away, that they may go into the villages, uh, go into the surrounding country and villages, and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. But he answered and said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? But he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them to make them sit, all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks, in hundreds and in fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves, and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. So they all ate and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of fragments and of the fish. <clears throat> and now those who had eaten the loaves were about five thousand men. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased. And they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled, for they had not understood about the loaves, because their heart was hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and anchored there. And when they came out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him, ran through that whole surrounding region, and began to carry about on beds those who were sick to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he, entered village, uh, wherever he entered into villages, cities, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him, that he, uh, begged him that they might just touch the hem of his garment, and as many as touched him were made well. Okay, so a huge amount of content here. So I'd like us to focus on one theme that emerges for us throughout the chapter, because we've got like five or six different stories in these verses. But a, a constant theme to me is whether people recognize Jesus or not. not just if they recognized him as a person, though that's there. There are two stories specifically listed where people didn't physically recognize Jesus, who he was. First, Herod, who thought he was, in fact, John the Baptist raised from the dead. And then there, toward the end of the chapter, the disciples, they don't recognize him at all, uh, who he is as he walks on the water. But more importantly, there is a comparison here uh, in the text between those who do not recognize what Jesus is about and what it is that he's doing in his ministry and those who did recognize that. In fact, as we look at these different people and situations, we find there's a, a real wide variety regarding what people thought about the Lord and his work. And a good exercise, of course, when reading a text like this is to evaluate who you or who I might be in the story. You know, obviously I know who I want to be in the story. I, I know how I want to respond to the Lord. Um, but throughout these verses, there is a wide array of responses and assumptions made about God and things I can look within, take inventory within, and see you know, where my heart's at right now. Some of these things are good that we see. Some of them are bad. And our part is to recognize first who Jesus is and what he wants to do, and then to realize that we have the same potential to miss him in our own lives if we are going to behave like some of the examples were given in these verses. And so specifically from our text, we should be concerned about the hardness or the softness of our hearts. That's how it's put. We read it in verse 52. It says, For the disciples had not understood about the loaves, 
they hadn't understood what the Lord was doing and what he was trying to teach them because their heart was hardened. And so if we don't recognize who Jesus really is and what he's really about and what he's really trying to teach us today as his disciples, then we're not going to be able to understand what is going on in our lives and we're going to be denying the power of God and the work that he wants to do. That's what happened in Nazareth, certainly, which we saw in back in verse 5. It said he could do no mighty work there, except for that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Now, on the flip side, there are tons of people in this text who did understand who Jesus was and what he was capable of. They believed and had their lives changed. They saw that he was in their midst and they went to him and they believed with faith that he was going to bring them life. The crowds that gathered in Gennesaret at the very end of the chapter were the 5,000 men with their families there in the remote place. They recognized the power of God and their need for him. And for them, Christ was able to do great things as opposed to the group in Nazareth who weren't recognizing what Jesus was all about. Because these people's hearts uh, uh, weren't hardened, they weren't disbelieving, they recognized who Jesus was and what he was doing. And so what we want to know is how to be more like those folks, those folks in the wilderness and those folks in Gennesaret, and less like the others who didn't seem to get it in this chapter, Herod and, and the, 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 the guys in Nazareth and even the disciples there uh, in their part. What we want to know how to avoid is that hardness of heart um, that is talked about. And if we're looking for attitudes of the heart that draw us away from God, then we get some very clear examples here in these stories. First, you have the hometown crowd in Nazareth, and it says that they were offended at Jesus as he taught them and, and went about ministry. The problem was that they thought they knew Jesus. Or more importantly, they thought that they knew everything they needed to know about Jesus. They didn't want to hear this kingdom talk. They didn't want to go out and listen to his teaching. They knew all they wanted to know. Oh, this is the carpenter's son, and this is his family over here. And that is a dangerous mindset that we are all capable of falling into. Not so much that we're rejecting Jesus as Messiah, as they did. Obviously, that's not what we're doing. But if we get into the mindset that we've got it all figured out, we know what we need to know about our faith, we're in for trouble. If we think we've got Christianity into our quick, simple little system, and there's not really more for us to discover by the Spirit about the Lord or what He intends for our lives, we're in trouble. Because if we're not careful... We make ourselves unteachable real fast. That's what a hard heart does. Uh, you know, when we have the attitude where, well, Lord, I know what I need to know about this passage. I know what I need to know about this book of the Bible. I know what I need to know about living the Christian life. And so I'm kind of just, I'm set, you know. Um, that is, that's, not, that's not a soft heart. When we get ourselves into that mindset, we are then denying the power of the Spirit whose desire for us is a daily continual growth and continual intimacy. We are to grow in the knowledge of God and the Spirit of God. And we have to operate under the attitude that we as individuals have never exhausted God's word or God's leading or God's potential in any area of our life. We don't know what we need to know and don't need, you know, as far as we're not done learning, we're not done uh, uh, looking into God's word, we're not done hearing from the Spirit. Because if we, if we, if we don't look into those things, if we don't have that continual growth with Jesus and with the Spirit and with the Word, then we're like these people from Nazareth. They, 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 Jesus was talking to them and they kind of brushed him off and sort of shooed him away because they were convinced that they knew what they needed to know to just be adequate followers of God. They weren't interested in anything that he was saying. It says there that he taught in a circuit. Um, to me, that 
indicates that God intends to continually teach us things about our lives and about holiness and all the other things we read about in the Word. The Lord, as it were, goes in a circuit in our hearts, looking at different areas and different situations and says, yeah, I want to talk to you about this, and now tomorrow I'm going to talk to you about that, and the next day we have these other things, and it's this continual cultivation as the Lord brings forth different kinds of fruit and different kinds of uh, growth in our hearts. Instead, what can happen sometimes is that we're convinced that we know what we need to know, and before we know it, we're getting offended by something we're hearing from the Lord. That's the danger there, um, because that's not a good place to be. Because if we're offended by God's Word or offended by something the Lord's trying to do in our lives, that signals a heart is, is hard and shut off from the power of God and the growth that He intends for us. Now, another reason people sometimes fail to recognize Jesus in this text and the work that he was doing in their lives is because they were blinded by sin. We see this in Herod, and certainly it can be true for us as well. Now, Herod was no believer, not by a long shot, uh, but you see that he had heard about who Jesus was. He had heard about what he was doing. His teachings were going all over the land. And on top of that, the text says plainly that he frequently went to hear John the Baptist preach. He heard him gladly, the text says. He wanted to hear what John the Baptist had to say. And, of course, John the Baptist was preaching about repentance and the kingdom of God and, and talking about those things. But Herod was so steeped in sin and perversion, he was so blinded by this sin that he was unable to understand what was going on. He was unable to understand that, man, the Messiah was in his midst, and this guy, John the Baptist, who he esteemed and he respected and he was listening to, he was like, yeah, this guy over here is the Messiah. I mean, John knew the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And, of course, he would go around then preaching that same message and talking about repentance and, and having right reconciliation with God. And Herod listened to all of that. But his sin not only kept him from knowing Jesus, but it took control of his actions and led to the brutal murder of John. You know, he's listening to John tell him who Jesus is, but then when he sees Jesus, he's blinded by this sin and he's bound up by it. And he says, oh, well, that must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. I mean, he's, he's just spaced out, spiritually speaking. Now, as Christians, we're not really looking at Herod as a model or anything like that. You know, I don't, you know, I'm not trying to say that we're like Herod. But we do need to understand just how deadly sin is, sin for the individual. It blinds us, it binds us, and it causes us to miss out on who Jesus is and what he's doing in our, in our midst. Because we cannot simultaneously betray Christ with our sin and glorify him with our service. Those things can't coexist together. Sin hardens the heart just like we see with King Herod. But now let's get to the 12 apostles. They're more relatable to us. Uh, we like to look at them and, and learn from them. And so we see them called by Jesus in this text, just as we are. They're empowered by Jesus, just as we are. Then they're sent out by Jesus to do ministry, just as we are. Now, as they went, out, went throughout the region, two by two, healing and teaching and casting out demons, a great amount of ministry was done. And that is a, is a great encouragement to us that the Lord desires that each of us go out and, and do specific work with a specific group of people as he's empowered us to do that. But, you know, when they got back to the home base and the situation wasn't quite so glamorous, it wasn't quite so fantastic as it were, they started to miss the point of Jesus' heart and ministry. They didn't recognize the work that he was doing in that place. Uh, this multitude of eight or 10,000 people show up, and the disciples' response to the Lord was not, hey, let's minister to these people like we were ministering to those other folks. It was, man, get rid of these people. Just get rid of these people. We have no reason to, to minister to them or spend time with them. You know, and the problem was when they were tired and when they were inconvenienced, 
They didn't recognize the fact that Jesus still had compassion for these people. They still needed ministry. The Lord still had a work to do. He still had power to transform this situation that they were in. And, and they needed to understand that ministry wasn't just a hobby and it wasn't just something to make them feel like they had this incredible power to go out and minister to folks. And you even see there some real exasperation on the part of the disciples because they, they come to the Lord and they're like, man, there's like 10,000 people here. I don't know what that feels like, but I mean, that, that's a lot of pressure and stress and you're tired and you haven't eaten and all this stuff. But they come to the Lord and they man, just kick these people out of here. Get rid of these people. And what the Lord then does, and he invites them to be a part of something miraculous. You know, he says, hey, you give them something to eat. This is the same guy that had just empowered them to, you know, heal the sick and cast out demons and do all this stuff. And so he says, hey, you, do you want to be a part of something big here? And, and they sort of get in his face when he says that. And here's what they said in verse 37. Are we going to go buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? Now, I don't think that's an honest question. I mean, they're getting in Jesus' face a little bit because they're exasperated. They're, they're getting a little testy. They were offended that he would suggest that they minister to this huge crowd. And what we discover is that when the screws of life start turning on us, if we're not careful and if we're not soft-hearted, we're going to get frustrated. We're going to get frustrated with the people that are in our lives and with you know, the suffering that we see around us or just the difficult circumstances we find ourselves in. It happened to John the Baptist. It's not recorded in our gospel, but it's the same you know, time period. It's concurrent with our text. When he was imprisoned by Herod at one point, uh, he sends some of his guys to go and ask Jesus and, and sisters say, hey, what's going on here? I'm not really sure why I'm being imprisoned right now. Are, are you the Messiah or what? Is what he says to him. And if we're not recognizing the fact that Jesus wants to work all over the world in each situation of life, not just when it's convenient for us, then eventually we're going to get offended that our circumstances aren't as restful as we'd like or they're not as prominent as we'd like. Uh, they're going to include suffering and hard work and, and compassion for people sometimes. But if we get narrow-minded or if we fall into the trap of thinking that ministry is meant to make me feel fantastic and make me feel good and make me feel powerful, then we run the risk of Jesus then passing us by. Uh, that's what the text says. They, they hadn't understood about the loaves. The Lord almost passed them by walking on the water because of the hardness of their hearts. And the opportunities that the Lord brings us or the encounters that he wants for us, uh, we have the potential to miss those things if we're not recognizing them and recognizing the fact that Jesus wants to interact with us and with this world every day, in every way, in every situation. And so we need to watch for them and expect those opportunities and understand what the Lord thinks about them. Because what's clear in this chapter, absolutely, is that the Lord really wanted his disciples to be a part of what he was doing. There was nothing, you know, uh, there's nothing exclusive about Jesus as far as he, he wasn't a one-man show. He wasn't like, well, you guys are here, you know, to kind of do crowd control for me while I do, you know, my big performance. I mean, he really wanted his disciples to be a part of what he was doing. And he wanted them to understand what he was teaching and to be a part of the mission that he was on. And when he gives them that opportunity and then they get in his face and kind of chew him out about it, he still gives them a job to do. He still lets them do crowd control instead of saying, man, instead of rebuking them and like chewing them out and, and judging them, he says, okay, well, you don't want to be a part of the miraculous thing I'm going to be doing here. You are narrow-minded. You're missing the point. You're not recognizing what I'm about and what I can do, but I'm still going to give you something to do here. Do you think you can manage to group these people up? in 50s and 100s. And so today, right now, the Lord is excited to give us as his people opportunities to partner with him in his work on the earth. Uh, but these heart attitudes that we're seeing here can really shift our spiritual vision 
and cause us to not get it. A hard heart removes the trust in Jesus Christ and it removes our faith in His power. A hard heart sees people as an inconvenience, not as an opportunity. A hard heart thinks it knows everything it needs to know and ignores the tender cultivation that the Lord wants to do in us. And so what we need to get out of this text is that Jesus Christ is recognizable for those who are soft-hearted. The work He wants to do is right out in the open. He's not hiding you know, anything from His people. We are then invited to partner with him and to be an incredible part of what he's doing. But it requires that we stop, take inventory of our lives, listen to what he's saying, and then actually allow him to change us and empower us. Not for our own benefit or for our own comfort, but for his glorification and for the service of the people around us who are searching for their Savior. Amen? All right.